You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. From Vineyard Theater in New York City, this is Theater Uncorked. Where vineyard artists come together to talk about the process of bringing new works to the stage. I am your host, Kevin Weinhold. The Vineyard is excited to launch its 2019-2020 season with Is This a Room, conceived and directed by Tina Satter. Is This a Room was developed by Tina's company Half Straddle and had a limited run at the Kitchen Theater. The Vineyard is thrilled to be giving this show an extended life off-Broadway. In episode 12, Tina is joined by actress Emily Davis, who stars as Reality Winner, the former intelligence linguist who was arrested in 2017 for leaking evidence of Russian interference in the U.S. voting system. The word-for-word transcript of Reality Winner's FBI interrogation forms the text of Is This a Room? Tina and Emily talk about what it took to develop the FBI transcript into a play, bringing it to life, and why this story is an important one to be told. Let's listen. I had vaguely heard of Reality Winner and the case um, in 2016 when it was, I'm sorry, in 2017 when it was happening, um, but hadn't really paid attention, very vaguely heard of it. And then I came upon a um, feature article on reality in New York Magazine in December 2017 and was fascinated by this young woman I was reading about. And then in that article, it led me to this PDF of the transcript of the day she was interrogated at her home by the FBI in June 2017. And this transcript was really fascinating and it immediately felt like a play to me as I was reading it. And the other thing that was really kind of intriguing at that moment was that Physically, I was not looking at pictures of Reality Winner in the article, and she looked a lot like Emily Davis, um, this incredible actress I had worked with for years. So I was sort of like, whoa, this feels like a play, and Emily could play reality. So those were the very earliest stages for me thinking of it. And then I immediately sent this transcript. Um, I emailed it to Ems and said, what do you think of this? And um, it was hard... I have a hard time reading things off of screens and the way that it, it would, what Tina sent me was just the, the actual transcript before it had been, you know, untouched as it was in the, in the, uh, 
what was it, Politico that? Politico had published the yeah. leaked PDF of this FBI and, um, transcript. And Tina said, Ems, you, you could play her. There's just something here. This is just really interesting. Like, if you have a minute, you should read it. And I started reading it, but it was really hard for me to, to I, I could see that there was, I the first thing I think I noticed was um, realities, the animals kept coming up, which was, I was like, oh, I get why Tina's into this. Because um, <laughs> that's been sort of a <laughs> recurring motif in a lot of our work um, with half straddle, I would say, right? Yes. But, yeah. um, <laughs> these were real animals. So I was starting to see these little, these were real animals, yes, but I was starting to see these glimpses of, um, also I could, I could kind of hear reality's humor. Um, and just the way, uh, I just, imme- I felt like I immediately could hear her voice. Um, and, and she stuck out as an interesting part of the transcript. But to me, I didn't, I couldn't feel it as a, as a play. My brain doesn't have the writers, but I don't, I don't, I just didn't experience it as Tina did. But then, um, these were back in the days when we were living together. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, like not because we, well, whatever, I won't get into that. But, um, we had this idea that we would, uh, Tina was like, we should read this out loud. So then we sort of started, yeah, bringing whoever, whatever innocent bystander. Yeah, the bo- the transcript <laughs> called for 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 participants as it literally listed on this. And in many ways, the transcript actually looked a lot like a play script. It truly did. We yeah. didn't make that many changes when we transported it over to a working script once the project was up and running as a play, and. In real life, reality was ultimately visited by 11 agents that day at her home. But the transcript called for four people in this transcript. Reality herself, it named two agents that are the name main agents um, interrogating her, Agent um, Taylor and Agent Garrick. And then this fourth character was listed, or fourth participant was listed as unknown male, which was sort of these non sequiturs. And then we came to l- realize was probably the nine other men's voices being picked up on the the things. So, but in these early days of like, is this actually something we could do as a project and as a play, we tried to get three other people in the room with us. And we did this a number of times (laughs) to read two other agents (laughs) in Unknown Male. And it was anyone that to us, had like male energy felt important it did they did not have to be a cis male but that was also sort of a new step for us in half straddle but some version of male energy felt really important in that dynamic so we yeah for like a month i'd say every week we try to get together sometimes literally in our apartment sometimes in rehearsal spaces and read this out loud and then we'd be like there is something there each time it became a little more clear so yeah so of course it was like you know emily was going to be reality that was like the pivotal casting that made it possible. Um, And then it was like this idea that these, um, the three other characters that were called for per the transcript and we were gonna try to stick with was the two main agents and then this unknown male figure. And I had this strong instinct that for this show and play, these should be these, this male energy should be up there and whatever that kind of meant. And it meant something to me. And I think as Emily and I were talking, it meant something to both of us then. And so we just called in any, a number of actors that I just, many of them friends, many we'd worked with before, people we'd wanted to work to, to just read it in this sort of 
you know, it was very, we were very transparent with everyone we brought in to read because we don't usually do actually auditions. Oh it's my very God. Yeah, rare. it was hilarious. We, yeah. <laughs> watching Tina conduct an audition. <laughs> but they were, <laughs> it was yeah. Great. I mean, yeah. we just don't, it's not like, there was no casting person. We didn't cast it traditionally. It was very, it really, what we, we worked with very so holistic. many yeah. wonderful actors and it just yeah. came down to this like thing of, I don't yeah, even know. Yeah, but we'd say, something. do you want to come read this? We're, we are looking to cast it, but it's also finding this energy in us just getting to experience it. And everyone we invited to do that was very open to that yeah. invitation and happy to play ar around with the text. And but and we and some people came into the room that we had never worked with before, that, but we were just private fans of and wrote. Yeah. And we're again candid that th this is sort of an audition, but um, yeah. And then to exactly echo what Ems just said, it was really... What I then was looking for as I look at Emily in it was this, li like any casting, but like this energy field that was going to be very important because we knew we wanted this really stark set and that, the, that these four actors were going to stand on this stark set and this very intense conversation is going to unfold over an hour. And this, uh, yeah, just the usual intangible magic of casting, but yeah. who brings that and... And it was a yeah. puzzle too. It was a totally a puzzle because we think, well, he could he could play this or they could play this, but then we'd need to move this to that, right? I mean, it yeah, was like I mean trying to figure out how... Yeah, I mean, it was weirdly surprising. The two main agents are... The really kind of lead agent on the page appears to be someone named Agent Garrick, and then his wingman, who's but is very present, is Agent Taylor. And it was really interesting. I mean, even though it's just this interrogation and it's not like an hour in these characters' lives, you after a number of reads, we could really suss out the vibe of a Taylor and the vibe of a Garrick and you know someone would come in and, and it, you could be like oh they read it Taylor and switch it and like w they're more interesting at Garrick and it was just such intangibles yeah. in a certain way and then unknown male was a real fascinating thing <laughs> to cast because <laughs> it was this hilarious non sequitur I and mean, that felt like you know we really come out of a downtown pedagogy and lineage in a certain way of how we've traditionally worked and made plays and who's been inspiring to the Hastreddle work in general, although there's a lot more to say about that. So this text that Unknown Male was saying as in the transcript was really, it felt like, oh my God, this is like downtown fodder, these random things. But we also wanted to treat this really dryly and with a lot of rigor. So it wasn't just making a joke. So it was like, what kind of actor... <laughs> that was almost the hardest one to get the yeah. right role on because if an actor tried to really play it a certain way, it it didn't hold so and then yeah. of course hilariously after months of agonizing over the casting we ended up just going with three people that we'd worked with well like I had personally well, never worked, worked with, with um, T.L. Thompson but had seen them and been a huge fan of them yeah and I had I knew T. yeah T. but I mean I think what Emily is saying and just I mean <laughs> these actors know it <laughs> but it wasn't like we were immediately like Pete Simpson or Becca or or T.L. I mean they were dream people to read but they really like just the alchemy and I mean, I don't know, Becca would <laughs> have a lot of their own <laughs> thoughts. They're so <laughs> incredible as unknown male and it, it's really a very, very specific role and very hard technically and Emily could speak more to that but it actually is and Becca just, the more I kept watching them is that it was so clear what they could make with that part was going to be very special with the kind of humor, physicality <laughs> and edge of what male menace could mean and I'm really seriously what does it mean to have a male body on stage and Becca was just 
really the perfect person to create that role with ultimately. So they, it became clear Becca should be unknown male, so. In many ways, Is This a Room is a departure from Half Straddle's signature pieces. Let's listen as Tina and Emily discuss working in a new genre while staying true to the company's mission. Yes, it is a detour because it's all the previous plays that we have worked on to full production, I have written the text for. So this was uh, is like, not only did I not write it, but it's not even, you know, originally uh, theatrical text. We were taking highly topical, still unfolding news fodder as a subject of a live person. Every other play that I've written is also like these very made up worlds and made up figures. So that it was a huge departure. And then, I mean, to use that many sort of male quote unquote energy bodies in a space was also a pretty big departure in what I'm usually interested in, but because it focused on this extremely dynamic and complicated female central figure, it, that felt really, really rooted to our our work prior. And there was also a way we were gonna more starkly treat design, but even that I can see coming out of our earlier work. And so the really quick ways I see it as not a huge departure at all really in many ways is this central female figure and then the way that um, I'm staging it, we ended up working on the staging. Actually, you can see the roots of that kind of on-stage choreography paired with text in earlier plays. But then, I don't know, Ems would have thoughts too. I mean, I think I think that for I for about 10 years, I've been working with Tina and Half Straddle, and there is we are a company. There's, you know, 10 uh, at least, I would say, um, repeat offenders in the, totally, in the group yeah. <laughs> and so it's definitely it's it's definitely a different feeling to not be up there with you know jess or eliza or julia or aaron or you know we've we've like worked with other actors from other downtown companies too but there's a and um you know typically chris Giarmo is a is like a long the time composer composer yeah. for the company um, and we didn't work with Chris for for this show just because of you know a lot of different things. Um, and we're working with Sonia he was Yamada. touring with David Byrne, and we couldn't. Yeah, he was. Use him. <sighs> but it was yeah. one of those amazing things, amazing for him. And then we got to work with someone really yeah. exciting as well. So. Um, so it's just you know working with. I mean, of course, Becca's I've has been in a lot of Tina's work. Um, and we have sort of a relationship on stage with each other that's hard to not always feel the. I mean, it'll just always be there. Like it's, I. I've said this about Tina's work before in the past, no matter what the task at hand is, it does sort of feel like at the end of the day, we're all just trying to make each other, like we're all just cutting up on stage and trying to make each other break character. It feels like the the true motivation of each moment. <laughs> um, and then Tina, you know, dips her hand in and makes us all get kind of get back to work and then also not get back to work. Cause I think that like um, playing around, I mean, I know this sounds so cheesy in every theater, whatever, but, so much of the work that Tina has generated has been based on the relationships of the actors of the company, right? So yes. like writing about about um, Jess or Julia or, or right. you know, these like friendships into it and what has come out of them and just uh, who we are. People Our dynamics. The dynamics, yeah. Get lifted and then played out, not in any recognizable way, but they are the fodder usually of yeah, and what so we're making no matter what the t content is. And but so for this it's just a different it's just a different playing field but at the same time it's it we've still because of the particular energies of this group of people it's it's really it's it's felt like a half straddle room 
like in the sense that there's a lot of there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of laughs, um, <laughs> a lot of tears, <laughs> mostly me <laughs> or Tina sometimes. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I also feel like it in in terms of how Tina works with me as a director, which is very very different than how other directors work with me. Um, this does not feel like a departure at all. I feel like we have our way of working together and we have our shorthand. And even though the content and the, st the structure of this play is wild, feels like wildly different sometimes, you know, um, yeah. it's, I still feel like you and I have the same way into it. Yeah. 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 I mean, cause I don't, this is so true of any project. So this is going to sound cliche too, but even in our past works, the way I think I came to theater with a kind of different background than many theater makers each project is like this is truly an experiment can this hold can what we want to do hold and this completely did because it really we didn't know it wasn't like I had written a play and I'm like I've got our three-act play it was like is this theatrical can we make a play so I think that half straddle vibe I think that is something usually in the whole process of like we're going to make this and it, we're all going to lean into this and do this now in this work period. But I think that's, you know, usually an artistic thing. And then one other technical thing that I also think always in the plays and shows we've made, even when I've written them, what we I'm always interested in really specific semantics of a given group, whether it's like high school people or a sports mm -hmm. team or a dance class. And a real gift of this text was this very, very specific security language that fascinatingly, not only did the agent speak, but because of reality's role, she can speak, a she speaks a security language, which is how she had access to the information that she was um, ultimately got in trouble for, but not, not every leaker has that. And so there's this amazing thing throughout the script of all this very specific language that we got to play with um, as actors and, make, and the makers, yeah. Yeah, it was, I think, the first time we've ever done, like, table work, too. We actually had to sit down and work together. Two of these incredible residencies that we had um, in Berkeley and at Dartmouth um, to sort of yeah. do, uh, I don't know, to, to, to work, in to, w to, to figure out what reality, what the actual journey of reality is in that one hour and where her mind is going right. and thought to thought. I mean, well, because because, yeah. because it's verbatim and because so much of the script is her talking through. I, I mean, in, to me, what I experience of it is her um, talking through different versions of truth and what the truth is going to be and what her re reality is. Of course, no pun intended. Um, but so that's a lot of that's a microscopic right and because dramaturgical, it was real i mean yeah we just we really when had to talk through every say single moment together you say password like pki password sounds like something i would have made up to be high school slang for yeah. in the pony pals football <laughs> but it's real and so we are not we weren't like like super worried but we wanted to have logic as smart actors and uh, the whole thing have integrity that when they said pki password they knew what that meant even if Mo no one in the audience except for the one FBI guy I think who saw it at the kitchen knows what <laughs> that is so yeah <laughs> I mean directorially a way to figure it out at first was to try to not make any choices and to be like we are going to adhere to every word and syllabic breakdown on the page so as you watched it I mean 
especially like the main agent Pete, he's stuttering a lot. He is doing almost every stutter on the page. Every sneeze is in the transcript because for some reason the transcript notes sneezes and coughs. So it was like th we are going to just do this, which is actually a really old-fashioned play thing. Like, what is on the page, and then mm -hmm. let's do that. So to me, the w way in was to like take it with it full integrity from the page and take any clues from there, and then let any sort of artistry edging molding that had to come come from what we learned there. And then um, the other big choice that I would make. I made artistically, I think, that was to not have any set, and we're just gonna hear this and watch these people move on this stark set. So somehow that felt the way to create the laboratory to let the language tell us how it should feel and even look on stage. It's hard to articulate, I think, what the process of working on this, on this right. was. I mean, there were definite moments of like I think one of the first things that you did with Mariana was do the was break the break it down into an actual script, right? Um, right. To to uh, make scenes to make scenes to break break it up into scenes, and then um, and then y you and I then started looking at the idea of what these acts would be. Yeah, we did actually. I mean, we ultimately made it into a three act play, which once we realized it, it was so clear. But it was Tina had cracked some. I mean, yeah. you cracked something right. that, that made you feel like, I mean, not to give too yeah. much away for yeah. people who, I mean, yeah. I think we all know what <laughs> ends up happening into reality, but there's a, there's a natural, there is a natural sort of uh, right. way that it did break down into those three acts where, the, where one of the real challenges for us became figuring out how to keep the tension through the entire piece when, uh, when, I mean, she admits what she did. When she has already But they keep interrogating her, and their interrogation on one version has a very similar rhythm. Over and over, they do the same kind of thing. So to feel that out. Um, but I, was, I also think on your personal thing, like some of your choice around voice and stuff was really interesting. Like this way to lightly make this a character and the kind of realistic or naturalism I that you came to which kind of became a way in for that we found with all the actors I don't know I mean maybe that is hard to talk about still I, I just think that instead of I think that maybe in old school <laughs> for all my years of theater training I actually don't know how to talk about this acting process stuff technique whatever um but I would think that normally if you look at a script and you're trying to decide what your motivation is um then you're thinking about like how do I say this? I feel like for reality, I had to think about the words coming out of her mouth as a direct evasion of everything that she was actually thinking, which is not to say she's lying through the whole thing because she's not. But it's interesting to think about how, um, I mean, I'm kind of doing it right now, right? Because I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but I keep, but I'm sort of, I'm continuing to go and you both are being very generous, like letting me do it. But, um, but there's so much, there's two tracks happening in this person and a lot of, the language in the play, I think, is reality sort of buying time yes. or trying to figure out. Because um, she also, I th uh, th uh, one of the biggest questions we had was, did she know as soon as she saw them what they were there for? Or does she right. really not know? There's all these things, and I can't answer that question. I've been in touch with reality. I still would never try to answer that question. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think you do either. Right, I think right, it's right. like a lot of this was guesswork. We definitely took a lot of liberties. We've, we've uh, in terms of thinking about what her motivation was in each moment, but... Um, 
but yeah, does that make sense? I basically just thought about, I mean, we, and this goes yeah. back to what I was thinking about us looking at every single line to figure out why would she say that? And why the, um, why the, uh, why the choice to include that little bit of information? Is she ingratiating herself with them in this moment? A and then to me thinking about, I mean, one of the things that really I think struck both of us in reading was how accommodating she is. She's so, um, she has a sense of humor. She's very kind. She's, it seems like she's being very, very, very open with them. Um, and so what's going on there? It's just a huge, there's, it's just a really weird. Right. So <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know how to. So like for Emily, it was important to her in ways that I totally make sense. So we would talk through, because normally we, we don't really ever work very psychologically at never. all oh as an God, approach. Never. So <laughs> it was still that. And then that allowed, I mean, Emily's performance is just so in beautiful. But so then I that was, and then Emily would push to for us to talk about that. And it would always be helpful for me too. Be, but, but I always also have to step back. And it's like what trumps almost all of that is a rhythm that the whole piece has to have, mm -hmm. <laughs> like in my brain. So it's like, okay. But it was like, I don't know, this is, it's hard to talk about, it's just literally, it's our work. But we get in the room, you run it, you run it, you're now layering in a slight read on a line, and then you start to see, all right, if Pete steps to you there, what do we get? That's the, like the magic of knitting together. The way this play works, which is this mix of movement, realistic acting, but not in any um, specific literal set, so, yeah. <laughs> Emily has been in contact with Reality Winner, and Tina has been in touch with Reality's mother. Here they tell us how their correspondence began. I wrote to, um, I mean, it's been a while. Um, I think, unfortunately, she's, when she, f we, when she was in um, Coswell, which was in Fort Worth, um, or no, I'm sorry, that's where she is now. The, th the, the, the place, the, pr the jail where she was before, she was able to use the internet um, to correspond, and so I signed up for something called Jail Mail. I think that's what it was called. And I wrote to her one day, just sort of, I knew that she knew what was happening, um, but I just wanted to introduce myself and s just say hello. And she wrote me back a super long letter immediately, and I was, yeah. I remember I was like walking through Greenpoint and I got this notification, and it just almost, for some reason it just felt so fate like I was like who's playing around and then <laughs> it was this long incredible letter with from this person who had the same voice I mean <laughs> from from her I mean yeah. I just I think I called you know, Tina immediately and was it like and it was it crazy it was also I don't know it was the week of the Christine Blasey Ford trial I somehow yeah. this letter where reality says I tried to stay calm that day I I don't know that's just a major side note to life but it felt I will never forget it because that was already such weird days mm -hmm. Emily read this letter to me that starts out with Emily hey girl and it was reality it was very incredible because mostly yeah. she just seemed she just wanted to to funny and playful and yeah the way we had gleaned from the year of working with this hour in her life under extremely intense circumstances. Yeah, I mean, her 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 mother, Billy Winter Davis, who who found out about the uh, project initially, did mention to us that reality was really nervous. You know that she did she was afraid of people thinking, you know, hearing this interview and making the worst assumptions about her. And I don't know, there was something about that too that was like I felt like I 
I felt like I didn't want to take for granted that we were also sharing something really personal and something that she could have potentially thought was damning. I wanted her to understand sort of where we were coming from. And I don't remember what I wrote to her, but it was, you know, I think I was more formal with her. And then she wrote this letter back that was just like, like right to my heart. Um, And so we wrote back and forth a couple of times. Um, And then she went to, and then she got moved and where she is now, it's much harder for her to um, get mail. Um, I've written to her again, but I haven't heard back. Um, I we get updates from her mom. Yeah. Um, and I know Tina's been in touch with her sister as well. Um, so yeah. Tina and Emily came to the theater from very different backgrounds. Next, we hear how they came to be artists and collaborators. I didn't like train at theater in high school or college or anything. As it turns out, most of the half straddle people were like really came to went to conservatories at 18 so I'm constantly learning from them caught up a little bit now but <laughs> um but my first influence in was being as someone who sort of more was like had an artistic mind and before I even realized I could make theater came upon the writings of Richard Foreman the work of the Worcester group and Richard Maxwell so I you know I I cite those as like I I was just a, like someone interested in art and interested in reading learned about those three uh, you know, art makers as people making any work in the world. And I was like, oh, this is a way to do something to process these ideas I have as this kind of specific version of theater. So going, almost skipping like class, I mean, I've been to plays <laughs> and I had been an English major and stuff, but I almost skipped like the Aristotelian way in and was immediately and deeply influenced, influenced by that more excuse me, experimental theater. And then... But you're an athlete, too, so that yes. totally, like... Yes, I think in sports, <laughs> totally, too. So, yeah, and then for those two, then starting to make work in New York City, going to grad school at Brooklyn College with Mac Wellman, and then immediately the peers, I became lucky enough to work with, like, Emily Davis, Jess Barbagallo, Chris Giarmo, and the rest, learning from them, oh, what you're doing is viewpoints. I'm like, oh, you know, so I... Anyways, that's my way in. And, yeah, and sports is big, but, yeah. Um, I went to an arts magnet high school in Dallas um, and before that went to an arts middle school and then before that went to a Montessori school that really prioritized theater as well. So I've been extremely (sighs) theatered. Like you knew it was what you were really interested in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like one of the only things I (laughs) know how to do. I mean, that's not true, but no, definitely. I've been on the, the, I always knew I wanted to move to New York. Um, and be a waitress and an actress <laughs> and I have gotten to be both many <laughs> many times and probably for the rest of my life um, <laughs> but I worked wi- I, I met Tina because Jess Barbagallo who was a sort of art star at NYU when I went there who would just sort of like I don't know there was something really captivating and devilish and cool about this little redheaded and he person. is the associate director of our vineyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's working and on this like too. And was like kind of a seminal person. <laughs> he couldn't be in the show originally. He was because he was doing Harry Potter on Broadway. Um, Can't make this shit up. But so he know? was. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, seminal. But anyways, I'm well, he, keep going. he just he I was in some of his uh, work. Um, or no, I know what it was. It was a, di- a, cl- a class on downtown theater at NYU. Um, was what brought me to Jess Barbagallo, who then um, who then recommended me for Tina's a play that Tina wrote called Family that was at the Ontological Hysteric Theater 
um, by St. Mark's, um, RIP. Um, and that was a show where I think, I, I mean, I played Tina. I played a version of Tina. Yes. So it was sort of fast track to like yes. getting, uh, understanding her heart. And I very quickly learned like, man, this woman is funny. I'd also not worked <laughs> with any, I was so young, but I hadn't worked with any women. And it, that was all so weird. that was in this company. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck have I been doing all this time? <laughs> this is, this stuff is funny and smart and they're total weirdos. <laughs> The only thing she says is like faster, slower, weirder. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I got, but I got it. There was something about her aesthetic. There was something I was also just super turned on by her relationship to like the art world. I felt like I was so used to seeing such ugly theater or like things that just looked bad. And I just thought, why would you make something that looked? I mean, I might sound to terribly conceited when I say this, but I, I do think that Tina's. That's like such a strong. That for me, that was right. just such a. The aesthetic, yeah, the, whole the attention, thing being the, attended, the yeah. neuroses around <laughs> every particle and hair follicle, like <laughs> on stage, was to me. I just felt like it was this kind of ambition that I really wanted to be close to. I, I, I wanted to be working with someone who was that detail oriented. In our final segment, Emily and Tina share their personal reasons for bringing this piece to life and what they hope this play will accomplish. I did not go seeking this kind of piece. I was actually working on, I had a commission from the kitchen, so I was working away on another very made up kind of thing of a, about like these adult women. But it's, it, it was, it's obviously been really crazy times or very specific times to live in the US. And I think as an artist where your brain is attuned and mine definitely is to so like, what is discourse? How do we think about these things? And have been thinking about them in a more heightened crucible since, um, frankly, since the winter of 2015 leading, I mean, winter of 2016 leading up to the election. I mean, through that whole, um, when they were running for office and it was really crazy, I think. And so just to say, when I came to this and was so fascinated by the character of reality, I was immediately like, this person is a version of a patriot. Like, this is a really complicated young patriot. And I really, like, and I, I was, I was like, this is so fascinating. Immediately made me rethink. Oh my God, I, what do I think? What does it mean for me to like love or not love my country? Does that matter? And in these times, and so immediately, I was just like, there is, I want to see this kind of content treated theatrically. I just, you could read about reality. You could read the transcript. You could read an amazing profile of her. We can hear her discussed on Democracy Now or Fox News. But I, there's more. Reality and as much as reality, the attending issues to this moment of like information in this age, information that protects our state or doesn't protect our state, how are people punished? I want to put a heart and brain around that too. I want there to be discourse of this kind of content in this moment that is artistically treated. I, And it felt like that was a, s a huge step towards that, uh, that I never had set out like to do that, here's the content to do that as we were on the content. And I mean, we, we did talk about this in the year then that Emily and I, and then as more collaborators joined us, and especially the group of actors that we w worked with that will do it at the Vineyard, we would talk, this is what it feels good to be spending our time on with no real answers of what it, it doesn't give you answers, but it gives you a heartbeat connection to, to what does feel like important content. So very long-winded answer to your question, but is just putting that content out there with 
only an artistic lens, not a lens that like reality is a hero or not a hero, but this happened in America in this time. There's a whole bunch of issues around it. Just sit with it and sit in this personal way into this human because we have this incredible um, record. We, this happened an hour one day in Georgia in June 2017. It had huge issues. It really did because what she leaked <laughs> was evidence of Russian interference in our election. So let's take that fact in. This is a moment that happened and let's just, yeah, take it in the ways that um, doing it in a live theater allow us. I think you said it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know if you're doing this, Tina, but I'm, I still Google reality every, every day um, because nothing comes up. Like, she's just not written about. You know, there's a couple of articles, but seriously, if you try to Google her, a picture of us is one of the first right, things that I've comes up. Right, I've learned that. <laughs> <laughs> in that picture. <laughs> no, but, um, but like, I, it's just shocking to me that it doesn't have, that it doesn't get more coverage, but I'm becoming less and less shocked. I think it's just, these are, as Tina said, unfortunately, I think people are falling through, a lot of whistleblowers on her heels as well are falling through the cracks and really scary ways um but even though she is discussed on democracy now sometimes i don't know if you saw something on fox no i just threw that out there i mean i would be curious actually to google if she ever has been um the times reported when she was sentenced and then there's been a couple of there's there's a, a handful of journalists in texas most notably at the caller times and corpus christi um that I have a connection to because my grandfather was a um, wrote for the ti- uh, Caller Times for a really and long that's time. like reality's home turf is the Corpus yeah, Christi area. Yeah, I have a big South Texas um, connection with this whole thing. But um, but they, there's some people at that paper write about reality a lot, and I think in Kingsville. But beyond that, she's she doesn't get much airtime at all. So no. for me, I do think I, I I want people to see this and I, not a sti- you know when i have conversations with people it th- it then sends them down the rabbit hole of Always, like yeah. i can't believe i've never heard about this person this is so crazy so i, I want to yeah. send people down rabbit holes i mean every time we did <laughs> we just did it again as soon as the show's over you'll see people on their phones like it yeah. happened in europe you s- and that you can if you yeah they're looking at wait what this happened we also this ju- i mean we just got back from europe with this yeah. right and i maybe tina mentioned this yeah. but I, it, like the biggest thing that we experienced right off the bat was people not knowing that it was p- people thinking it was fictionalized, right? And thinking like, what an interesting <laughs> piece of writing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, they just sort of were ready to make say that out loud more than I think American audiences right. in a way. Like it's just plain as day to them that it's right. that there's a pro- it's problematic how right. this woman was treated, um, how she was right. interrogated, and and that she was then imprisoned for it. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Theatre Uncorked. Thanks to Tina Satter and Emily Davis for joining us on the podcast. Theatre Uncorked is produced and edited by me, Kevin Weinbold, with help from the Vineyard's marketing director, Melissa Pelkey. Thanks to the Vineyard Theatre's artistic directors, Douglas Abel and Sarah Stern, and managing director, Suzanne Appel, along with the entire Vineyard staff. Thanks to Peter Lerman for creating the theme music to our podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. And last but not least, a special thanks to you for listening to Theater Uncorked at The Vineyard.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.